Can changing your corner of the universe change the world? We think so. You've heard the quote, be the change you want to see in the world. But what does that look like? This is where we meet the people that are walking that out. One person, one idea, one decision at a time. Here's Baden and Rex. All right. Welcome back to another episode of My Corner of the Universe. Today, we got the pleasure of interviewing Hap Hathaway from The Ground Up. And Hap, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. Glad to be here. Right on. Well, first, before we jump into From the Ground Up, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, Okay. I am a husband, father, um, artist, farmer. I live in the Concow area for about 20 years now. Um, Originally from Fresno, California. And um, yeah, I've I've been a dirt farmer for most of my adult life. Uh, just up here raising my kids and um and then eventually i got my mom to move to the area and we started our service group which is you know probably what we'll talk about a bit today well from fresno to the concow how'd that happen that's not your uh typical <laughs> well um my grandmother lived here in chico for a long time she ran uh the united way of butte and glen counties a long time ago oh that's and, cool uh, we would come here and visit her and um Fresno being how it was when I was younger, my parents decided to move. And so we moved here because my grandma was here. She was kind of dug in and could help us out. So that's how we landed in Chico. Um, and then uh, I kind of bounced around California till I was about, I think I was about 19 or 20. And I decided Chico was like the spot, you know, it was the best, nicest place I'd been in terms of uh, there was art music scene and a college and it uh, wasn't huge city, didn't have a lot of the urban issues that Fresno did at that time anyways you know this is like 1996 or something and um and so yeah I, I just kind of picked Chico and said I'm going to land here and work on my craft and um get into my career ideas and uh do that here but being once I was in Chico for a couple of years I realized I really wanted to be in the foothills and in the forest so uh I just uh, made moves in that direction landed in Concow, my wife and I got our place in, I want to say 2000, and then spent a few years kind of developing it. And uh, about 2006, we threw our first uh, attempt at a music festival, which was up at Belden And uh, that year, I met some people who operated the Lake Concow campground, and they invited me to bring myself and my resources over to their revival of an old festival in that area called the Wild Mountain Fair. And, uh, yeah, we did that in 2007, did that for about six or seven years. And then we were able to, um, to finance that property, the campground property. We put a group, uh, together of friends and parents and, uh, community people. And, uh, about that same time was when my mom moved up from Fresno. I'd been trying to convince her for a long time to move up from Fresno. And, uh, she finally did and turned her health around and made this huge, health transformation that you know you should probably interview her she's got an unbelievable yeah that sounds great yeah and then it's just been steady on that course pretty much since then you know we do a show or two every year i do a little bit of art a little farming and um that year my mom moved up and uh she was going on disability because her health was really bad uh i mean really bad and uh she knew she wasn't going to be going back to work professionally you know in the corporate space she had been in chemical agriculture um 
office management. She was a honcho office manager for a big chemical company for about 12 or 15 years or something. And um, so being an organic farmer, you know, we used to go around about that a bit, you know. Yeah, I can imagine. Finally, she kind of picked up on it when her health and everything was proving everything that we have been telling her for, you know, that last 10 years or so. Um, she moved up, started making these changes, had this huge transformation and was like, well, what should I do? I mean, I got to do something with the rest of my life. So I told her, you know, if I just won the lottery or didn't have to worry about money or anything, uh, I would start a nonprofit where we grew food to give it away to people. And um, then I would seek funding, you know, through the grant channels and uh, all the different fundraiser ways that we kind of already were adept at doing with the concerts and stuff like that. I said, well, that would be like my dream project if I could just do whatever I wanted. So she said, well, that's what I'll do. And we kind of teamed up on that. And she um, she zeroed in on a garden space in Chico area um, that's called Kentfield Gardens. And that kind of became our home base that year, 2013 or 14, maybe that was. And uh, we started building a bunch of different, uh, we started gardening there and giving away the food to like the Torres Shelter, um, uh, Avenida um, Adult Care Facilities, places like that that had um, food service for for marginalized populations. And uh, then we started doing uh, like wellness workshops in a lot of those places, teaching like um, like breathing exercises, just like basic self-care stuff for people that had emotional and other kind of issues that they were, you know, need assistance with. Um, nutritional ones, she did a lot of workshops where she would show how to use all organic ingredients to make this really cheap, really nutritious soup that could feed a bunch of people. And, you know, just like showing people these basic ways of how it is actually affordable and um, manageable time-wise to eat right, to take good care of yourself. A lot of us will procrastinate on doing this kind of stuff thinking, well, I can't really afford organic food or I don't have the time to do any of these uh, exercises or practices. So, um, that's what we did for quite a few years. And, and she, my mom versed herself at how to get funding for that. And mostly it was like a family project, like my brother and sister and uh, my wife and her siblings and um, all of our family just kind of coalesced around it and got a bunch of good friends on board. And then, uh, then the campfire happened in 2018. Uh, and following that, there were no, almost no, service groups, especially in Concow or Highway 70 corridor area, there weren't any well-established service groups, or very few anyways. There's a couple uh, that were ready to step in and do anything um, aid or service-wise for the people who had uh, gone through the fire. So uh, we were established as a nonprofit with our 501c3 and tax status and all that. And um, and just, had, to, just to real quick to catch people sure, up that maybe aren't from the local area, because we're all kind of in this area, um, and even domestically, a lot of people knew about it, but campfire was this massive fire, burned through Concow, burned through the town of Paradise. I mean, devastated a town of 27,000 people, I'd say, in Paradise, plus Megalia. I mean, this it's whole- like was a, Yeah, in like an hour. It was massive, <laughs> unfortunately, a lot of lives. I mean, so it's uh, such an incredible impact in this area. Um, just so people know the the devastation that took place when that fire hit, that it was, I mean, you think of it, any town, you know, of 27,000 people and literally just wiped out, you know, I mean, most destructive fire in California history. Yeah. Yeah. So, And traumatizing and, and hugely disruptive to people's lives. I mean, you know, people couldn't even go back to their house for, I want to say like a month and a half, two months or something while they were yeah. dealing with up and all that. It was horrible. It was a horrible situation. 
and there was almost nobody uh, on the ground ready to go to do any provide any services. So we stepped in, and uh, a couple other people stepped. A whole bunch of people stepped up, but very few organizations really got their feet under them and got going anywhere. Um, but ourselves, um, Tiny Pine Foundation, Alyssa has been doing huge work up here, um, supported by North Valley Community Foundation uh, groups like Suchi. Um, private donations, like people really uh, came together as a community. And so there were giveaways and oh. gift cards, you know, for people and all this stuff that we started managing. Uh, then we, uh, my mom had the idea of uh, what to do with all the trees, you know, all these trees that were um, flash burned in the fire, but didn't burn to ash, just standing there, dead trees everywhere. Um, yeah. So she's like, well, you know, at least everyone can sell their trees and get some money. So I explained to her, following a fire, usually that region will have a glut of supply on logs. And so mm -hmm. um, really it's the home, the landowner will generally not get much money for the trees in that situation. The logging company will come in and do the work for free for the most part. And they make a little money, but uh, there, there wasn't money, you know, and I explained that to her. And so she was, uh, she couldn't stop thinking about how we all were just going to lose these trees and not getting Hun value. Hundreds of thousands of them, right? I mean, just an insane amount of trees that were taken out. Yeah. Standing on the hillside that could get you a view and all you could see for miles in any direction was either straight red dirt like Mars, just scorched earth or standing uh, forests of dead black trees. Yeah. All you could see in any direction for, you know, it's just devastating. So she had the idea of a sawmill. Well, how do they make lumber? That's a sawmill. Okay. Um, and uh, my wife's father and her ended up eventually getting together down the road. So they're a couple now in this, um, interesting from the ground up Brady Bunch thing we got going on. And so he's a, a technically really smart, mechanically smart guy. So they kind of put their heads together and he zeroed in on the mill. They got a grant for that. Uh, we started running that mill, making people lumber out of the trees uh, awesome. in the area. And uh, that was going really good, but we found out right away we needed a tractor. We had, were borrowing a neighbor's tractor. Um, so then they funded a tractor. And then, then it's just been this process of us being like, well, Actually, to go to the next level of forest management, fire risk mitigation, you know, recovery for all these people, we need this and we need these tools. And the, so it's a, it's grown into this thing that's now we have at the campground. There's a tool lending library there um, that has power tools all the way up to yard equipment. Um, the tractor and the mill are busy all summer, every year, clearing people's property, digging trenches, septic tanks, making building pads and, of course, producing lumber off of the mill. Um, we got uh, groups that are funded now to go and do the the brush clearing and the tree falling and all the stuff that is the first step of getting a property ready to make their lumber. We have to knock these trees down. We have to clear all you know this all this prep. So um, I mean that's the long and short of it. We do some concerts every year to try and uh, keep the community hanging out with each other, having a good time, bring a little money in. Um, and I mean that's basically what we do. I could I could get more into detail yeah. about it. Well, I wanted to jump back to where you started. You said like the you you had a uh, the first piece of property in Chico. I forget the the name of the farm that you said it was, but how did that come to be? Was that just like a an, a vacant lot, or did you have friends that had this price property? What was that about? Good question. Um, my my actually my father in law had an attic fire in his house that gutted the roof of his house and smoke damaged everything. So. The insurance company paid for their uh, remodel and mitigation and stuff of that. But in the meantime, they had to live in a temporary other house. They moved into a house that the insurance company paid for. 
And that house just happened to be around the corner from uh, this garden that was already there. Um, Todd and Molly Hall are the owners of the property. Um, community friends, activists with lots of different causes, super cool people. And uh, my mom happened to just be walking her dog and come around the corner and saw this community garden. This was really shortly after we had um, kind of decided what we were going to do and started um, converting one of our properties into the grow site. Well, this will be where we grow all these fruits and vegetables that we give away because we already had fruit trees. My wife and I are pretty avid gardeners and stuff, mm-hmm. small scale farmers. So um, she just found the place and um, looked up the owner and asked him, hey, what's going on with this? Because it was clearly a garden, but it was looking a little run down and unintended. So the owner said, you know, it was a family project of theirs they've been doing for a while, but they were getting kind of burnt out on it. The kids were off the school. So she said, well, hey, we'll, we'll take it over. And so we did. And basically from there, we actually at one point got up to, I think we had about a dozen community gardens around town at elementary schools, at awesome. adult care. Wow. Different. And that one specifically you're saying, so you guys were able to take that over, no rent or anything, just helping them out to make it good. And you guys had a spot. So it was people working together, but you guys didn't have to have like, Hey, it's $500 a month or anything like that to lease the land. No, they've been That's super awesome. generous with that. And also the water bill, since it's down in town, there's a water bill to the garden mm-hmm. and uh, they pay for that. I think we may have gotten some small grants over the years to kind of help with that to offset that water cost. But for the most part, Todd and Molly just pay the water bill and let us run our workshops. And we, there's Very a kitchen cool. there now that they built. And I mean, it's developed in it's really a, a 1125 Kentfield Avenue in Chico is the location. Um, everybody's welcome to go there. I mean, you can literally go there and just harvest food. There's usually a booth that has uh, available things in there that you can just come and uh, help yourself to. Um, I'm not familiar with where that is. Is that like the Chapman Town area or where where is Kentfield? It's off of East First, kind of like just before you hit the freeway, kind of by the Butte County Library over there. It's in that, uh, okay. in that area. Okay, got it. So, and then, uh, so then you talk a little bit more about the... Um, the other smaller gardens, whether it's elementary schools, or I also saw on your website where you you do almost like um, like property sharing, where someone has like a, a lot and they have an extra quarter acre they're not using, and you guys will actually you know say, like, hey, we can can we use this piece of land? How does that work? Is that people reaching out to you guys, or are you um, reaching out to them and finding vacant land and saying, hey, can we utilize that like you did in the first project? Hmm. Uh, a little of both. Uh, we've we've had uh, early on, my mom kind of identified sites like uh, Chapman Elementary was one of the early ones and a couple of places that had spaces, again, that were either started or kind of left and untended. But uh, so she identified a few and we reached out to them and they were receptive. Uh, and then other once we started doing that, then other people started asking us, hey, you can put a garden over here. Hey, you, you know, so our what we did, um, because gardens, if you've ever done any gardening, it's really labor intensive, you know, it's tons of work. So um, and we can only do so much, you know, our family volunteers all their time. Only in the last couple of years have we started having a couple of paid positions because um, it's grown to the point where it's full time jobs for people doing some of the managing and clerical and stuff. But all yeah, the people doing awesome. the field work, gardening, um, the milling, all that stuff, for the most part, it's volunteer. Um, awesome. And she, uh, so what we would do is we would uh, show people how to do it. We'd come in with some of the initial resources, set them up, get the drip lines and everything in place to make it really easy, show them how to plant stuff, do workshops for harvesting, things like that, and then let them run with it. You know, the elementary schools were 
designed to be gardens that the teachers and parents would run with the kids and varying degrees of success because, you know, you got to stick with it and it's worked several times mm-hmm. a year. So some of them are still going, some of them are not. We've kind of pulled back from that, the gardening and wellness stuff since the fire, because that has become um, a little bit, it seemed a little more priority to us um, and a little more um, time consuming. So that's been our main focus for the last few years. You know, myself, my wife, um, almost everyone we know pretty much lost everything we own. Like you guys said, it happened in about an hour, two hours or something. And like, you know, whatever, 40, 50,000 people had nothing, no homes, no, you know, it was uh, bananas. So not that wellness and nutrition and personal health and all those things are top tier important, but um, it fell back a little bit for us personally, just because of um, our own personal crisis that the fire was and the potential that we saw for the resources we had in place and the people we had willing to work. Um, we said, this really needs to be our focus, you know, um, and it's still kind of that way for now. There's still, we have Kent Field as well taken care of. And um, we've kind of farmed out some of the work there with some other volunteers. Um, and yeah, we've just been cutting. Yeah. Dipping, milling, you know, tractor and digging dirt. It's, it's been a busy last few years. It's a cool thing about being in a smaller town, rural area. We talked about kind of that tool library that you guys have out there versus even just in Chico. This isn't even like if you were in Sacramento or San Francisco, bigger cities where like, if I need a tool, like if I have a friend that I can call up and borrow it, that's great. But otherwise, like I got to go rent that tool at Rental Guys or All Star Rents or something like that. So just kind of the power of that, you know, living in a spot where you have community that I feel like is so lost in urbanized cities. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've taken advantage of it. I mean, I, I got to utilize your guys' wood splitter. And once I saw the tool library, what you guys have available, I'm like, wow, this is such a resource to the community. Cause like you guys got pretty much everything in there. <laughs> it's a pretty amazing. We're feeling pretty good about it. You know, yeah. it's been hard to keep stuff working. You know, people take stuff and bring it back broken a lot. Yeah. It's probably been our biggest obstacle, you know? Um, so, but Do they we, tell you when it's broken or they just bring it back and don't say anything. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you break something and you come back and you're like, man, I'm so sorry. I can't figure out how to fix this. Yeah. Some, sometimes. Thing, but when they just drop it off. Hello. Uh-oh. Oh, Vaden, you gone? He's frozen. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I still got you though, Hap. So, okay. while Vaden's jumping no, sorry, back on, uh, you're there? Okay, cool. Um, one question I had is, you guys also do this amazing side through the community with the the different music events that you guys bring up. And so, um, do you just want to kind of speak to that? I know that you're a musician yourself, so... Give me just a second. I apologize. I got a little alarm going off telling me I'm supposed to be somewhere doing something. Oh, I'm going to just, while, while, while Hap's taking care of that, Rex, I think if we interview his mom, and this this is because she was in the chemical business and where she's at now, we're going to call that interview from roundup to the ground up. Oh, yeah. roundup to ground up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I might, I might he might take it. that line. Take the line, use it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, what was the last question? I'm sorry, I got. Uh, I was just talking about just like how you guys incorporate the music into it because I know you're a musician and just you know how you guys just not only do that as a type of fundraising but a type of community gathering yep. and just community building. Well, um, like I said earlier, um, that's kind of how I landed in the community in Concow. We had gotten our property up there, 
but we really didn't know anyone yet until we did that show at Belden um, in 2006. And that was mostly just from, at the time, there really wasn't a lot of festivals around here. You know, there was a few things happening. And as an artist, I saw that as a problem um, for artists. So like we need big shows to be on so we can kind of build our resume, right? Because this is kind of before streaming and, and YouTube and how everything is now. I mean, some of that stuff was out, but it wasn't. Right, play it is, yeah. Right? And so you really, the way you get on as a musician is you have to be able to say, well, I've played on this show with so-and-so. Like, you have to have a resume like that. So well, we wanted to make a show that was a benefit. Um, the first show was actually a benefit for the Torres Shelter. We ran a, a canned food drive, and um, the proceeds after paying some of the artists went to the uh, Torres Shelter. So from the first year, that was the mission, was that we wanted to build a platform that could grow into a big show that would be fun for the community and and contribute to our culture that way, but also be a platform for artists to like leap off of and stand on to build our little careers up, you know. And uh, and then if we could make it be public service oriented too, that was kind of the vision. Um, and so everybody, uh, some of the people that played at the show were Concow locals, and they said, "Oh man, our community needs this. You should bring this over to Concow." Um, so, uh, we, we did that and, um, basically just grew that from kind of the backyard jam into a few years into it. We got a, a headliner, our first big international headliner, and it really kind of popped off from there. And we just kept doing that. Um, in the early years, we were feeding money into local groups. There was a group called, um, Phoenix Rising or Phoenix Project or something like that. Phoenix Project from, from Concow because um, the 2008 fire happened in Concow a couple right. of years after we got started up there. And that one that one burned down a couple of hundred people's houses. It wasn't quite the devastation of the campfire, but for Concow specifically, like 200 plus people were unhoused by that fire. Um, so right away, that's where money was going into for uh, from the shows for several years was going into their um relief efforts to help people do stuff they ended up lobbying for the title 25 building code here in butte county back then which is went into heavy play again following campfire and uh, most of us who are trying to rebuild are doing it that way because it's the only way anyone could afford so um we were happy to connect into that continuum of uh service so um that's what we've been doing basically um it was the wild mountain fair for quite a few years up until uh, the last one was 2013. And my understanding was the Wild Mountain Fair, what we did was a revival of a, of a gathering that happened in Concow for many years before that, but it kind of stopped happening for a while. And uh, my dear friend, Tony, uh, who was the caretaker at the campground at that time, wanted to revive it. It was kind of like his mom's special thing and the community's special thing. So we revived that. Um, then uh, later he left our group and moved on to other things. So we basically held things in place, but kind of rebranded it because we didn't want to like take their intellectual property and their tradition. We were kind of starting a new thing built off of an old thing. And that was uh, the Sacred Movement Festival that we did for, I want to say, five or maybe six years of that. Um, then there was the campfire. Uh, 2019, we didn't have any events. We didn't really do anything at the campground, <laughs> like right. nothing. I didn't even cut leads or nothing. Um, 2020, we were back in gear um, and poised to do it, but then the coronavirus hit. 
So we right. didn't have it that year either. Um, I guess it was 2021 was our first new one. We restarted a new gathering called Relations Gathering. And the goal of that was to, to kind of continue the culture of the show for the local people but tone things down a little bit. The other shows had built up over the years where it was a pretty big show and it was a lot of people would come from out of the area and it was uh, going to be a little less family friendly than we really liked in certain ways as big shows will do. Right. Um, when the fire kind of made us hit the brakes and start everything over, like we had to rebuild the stage and all this, you know, tons of stuff burned at the campground. So um, it gave us an opportunity to reformulate the gathering a little bit. And we're, what we're aiming for now is more like a, like a family reunion vibe, like a big community barbecue that just happens to have a little bit of concert built in and, and the same kind of um, workshops and other kinds of performances. Um, we generally have um, an indigenous brother pouring uh, sweat lodges over in our village area that people can go and do purification. So over the years, we've introduced hundreds of people to that way of living through that part of the um, the gathering and um, you know we're open to anybody else out there that has an idea of what they could come and contribute to the show in a community way it would be good um, but we're trying to find a balance between something that feels like a big exciting show that everyone's like oh man that was a good show but it doesn't have those other aspects of um, you know too much intoxication mm -hmm. um, people from out of the area that don't have the same kind of concern for the land or the community or anything like that and um, so far, so good. You know, we're planning our, our third one this year will be June 23rd through 25th at the campground. And cool. uh, yeah, it should be a great show. I mean, yeah. I mean, uh, and I could talk and talk. I should let you guys. <laughs> no, no. And so besides, I mean, because you guys at the campground there, you hold other festivals as well. Mm -hmm. And do, are, are those connected from the ground up or is that separate? Um, sort of, um, most of them are, it's somehow through word of mouth that people find out we have the venue and they come and check it out and say, Oh, well, we want to do our event here. You know? uh, okay. Got it. Mm -hmm. A big, a big event that we have every year. There is a called the Buckeye gathering. And this is my favorite. I mean, I love this event. Yeah. I've heard that from people. That's Some always their favorite event. event, you know? Um, and what they do is it's like an outdoor week long college for, um, ancient skills of fire making, flint napping, hide tanning, shelter building, cordage making, fabric. I mean, like if our Stone Age ancestors did it, they're practicing it at this gathering. And the people go and for a week long, you're just immersed in these classes. And there's day classes and week long classes where you work on something the whole week. People do hides and it's just amazing, you know, and then they have a little bit of music and um a little bit of that kind of stuff, but it's really uh, just community focused um, and Skillshare focused. And the first time they brought that event to the to the campground, like second or third day worth of being there, they have a big circle in the morning where they have breakfast together and kind of talk about what's going on for the day and everybody drops into their groups. And then there's community dinner in the evening. And after a few days of that, I found myself at the dinner circle one evening, just listening to somebody talking. I was really like, it shook me up. It was very disruptive to me because I realized I think I'm doing this wrong. Like, I think I'm doing the gathering thing wrong in certain ways. These guys have really nailed something special here. And I was this weird mix of like really excited for how we could make changes and really kind of like disappointed. Like, how could I not have seen this already? How are we doing it wrong for so long? You know, and uh, 
So we're, we're drawing heavily on the culture and the mindset of the Buckeye gathering for, for what we're trying to do. And we're trying to kind of fuse that with what we were doing before and make a kind of a hybrid out of that. And um, so far, so good. You know, it's smaller, yeah. um, but I like that. The Buckeyes actually have a cap where they cap attendance at like four or 500 people. And that helps protect that, um, that intimacy where you end up kind of like meeting almost everybody at least a little bit at the event. Whereas above that number, it starts to get uh, a little bit just where you're just in this crowd and you may or may not really interact with a lot of the people that are actually at the event. So we're we're definitely looking at that. And once we reach that point with the event, we'll probably cap it and only sell, you know, X amount of tickets per year so that we can hold it right there. So it feels like a big family barbecue but it also feels a little bit like a concert, but you also learn some really amazing stuff. That's what we're shooting for. Yeah, that's cool. That's a good perspective on, on the balance there. Cause I think a lot of times people are just thinking numbers, like how big can my festival be? Yeah. Yeah. And it's understandable because it costs a lot to throw the festivals. You know, um, we, we built, uh, really slowly from the ground up, no pun intended. Um, we just, you know, I brought the sound system out, we got all the best local bands on board that we could get, you know, um, and I had a little advantage to that being part of the musical community. I was able to get favors that maybe a, a, an out area out of the area promoter would not be able to get people on board with the movement so easily. But um, And you guys rebuilt yeah, the stage uh, from the, the sawmill, right? That you guys have. Stage. You guys rebuilt your was stage that? using the sawmill. Yeah, yeah. Um, everything except for the plywood of the the deck, of the deck. this tongue groove um, plywood, just so that it would lock in and last forever and mm-hmm. stay smooth. But you know, eighty five percent of the rest of it is all uh, milled on site from trees that we lost either in the fire or in the years past the fire to the beetles and other things like that. You know, we just have you know the trees are struggling up there a little bit. The ones that survived right. now, the bugs are eating those ones. You know, so yeah. Yeah, it's a good perspective to have on those festivals. I grew up in Humboldt County and they have this huge festival. I don't know if it's still called, it used to be called Reggae on the River. And it was like oh, a cool yeah. reggae show, but it totally turned into like just this yeah. massive drug fest. Um, sure and I feel like got way far away from the music and what it was. By the time I was in, like in high school, you just hear stories of people that were just going up there and just going crazy. And it was so far away from the music of what the the event started as it probably was that they're just like, Hey, let's just grow this. It's, it's successful. Let's keep getting bigger and bigger. And I never really heard that perspective from your end as far as like the promoter saying like, Hey, there's a negative to having this event get super mm. big. There sure is. And I mean, reggae is a great example. My wife uh, went to that event as a volunteer um, on different crews, you know, be, so she could attend the show and then uh, once she and I got together, you know, I went out there with her and there was another also the hog farm and the earth dance festivals that were out there at the time. Um, we went to a few of those. And after going to a few of those with her, that was really my catalyst where I was like, look, this is what we should do. I don't want to go to these shows. I want to produce one of these kind yeah. of shows. And, yeah, you know, cool. the Black Oak Ranch out there where they do the um, the Laytonville gigs, um, we had a little bit of kind of back backstage access because we were a volunteer crew and they there's people that live out there on the land you know and they have this swimming pond and these creeks and it's like i was like yeah i want to be these people they know they know this is it this is it that changed our life that's basically 
what put us on that path. But she, more even than myself, watched that reggae event go from this really cool, really um, ITAL, um, you know, uh, culture oriented event where people went there. And, you know, of course, there was partying and, and stuff like that, but it wasn't like the main focus. People didn't, weren't coming from far and wide because they knew there was going to be lots of drugs there. That wasn't oh, yeah. it. It was people who really cared about like Rastafari culture, um, ITAL living and, and those values that we're trying to infuse into our, our modern culture. And it turned into something else. And mm-hmm. I'm not going to try and put that on anybody, any blame or anything like that. It's just something that happens. If you have a successful event, it wants to grow. And if yeah. you keep feeding that way, it will keep growing that way. And we've learned by watching shows like that and watching our own show over the years that you really have to be careful what you feed it, depending on what you want out of it, you know. And when we first started, we were like, we wanted Earth Dance. We were heavily modeling the show off of Earth Dance, which was happening out at Lake Lake Mill out there. Which has gotten pretty big too, right? I don't know what it is the last few years because I don't live in that area anymore. But I remember towards the last years when I was still in Humboldt, I was like, oh, it's still a a pretty big event. Yeah, it's a big festival. Yeah. Huge. And we were kind of aiming at that because we had the idea, well, more people is more money. More money coming in means more um, resources for the charities that we're supporting. At one point, we had created a scholarship program for Concow people to go to Butte College and assist them with school stuff. Like it was really cool. And we, our mindset was, well, if we can grow the money, grow the attendance, we grow the money, mm-hmm. um, and we grow the the resources for the service groups. But there's a line you get across the line, and one year I I remember after the show just being like, okay, so we need to make some adjustments. And the next couple of years in a row, I was really struggling with like, you know, I don't know exactly what to change and i don't know what to do uh to make it different i don't want to just throw it throw it away and start over um, because people are really attached to it like a lot of people was their thing my my son was like i want to say about five or six years old when we started he's 20 years old now he literally grew up going to it and all his friends and a lot of people watch them go from teenagers and young adults to like um to having families and having their own big touring bands and stuff, you know? And so um, it's been really cool to watch that. Yeah. It it felt, it was actually a bit of a relief that the fire forced us to take a year off because then it took it out of my hands. I didn't have to say, Hey, we're not doing a show this year. We're doing, we're starting over. I didn't have to like be the guy who went out and said that and made everyone feel like I crapped on the party or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. We like we're, take a minute and start over. And uh, it was actually really refreshing, and really helpful. So I'm really happy with the way that the event has gone the last couple of years. We got rained on last year, Saturday night. So that kind of squashed us a little bit, but um, the people who are attending it and just the vibe and the feeling, even though it's smaller, it feels better and it feels closer to that vibe that the Buckeyes get over there, um, which circles me back to that question that I tangented off the side of. But, um, we have other groups that come there. They just find out about the site, whether someone they know camps there or whatever. Um, and they bring their events there. We have, um, we have a, a medieval um, reenactment society that comes there a couple times a year. Um, we have uh, the For the Funk of It Festival move there, who is interestingly enough, their festival was built at Belden. Uh, and they started their festival the same year that we started uh, Sacred Movement. So those two festivals, those are uh, Spinny and Bob, the guys who run that are my good friends. And we kind of grew those festivals up next to each other. Um, and then Belden burned in uh, the Dixie or the Bear Fire, um, which was a couple of years later after right. the campfire. So um, they moved last year. They moved the event to the campground and it 
seemed like it was a really good fit. Everybody had a great time and they're coming back again this year. So they'll be at the campground in August. I forget the date on that exactly, but um, it's in August, mid August. Awesome. So for people that are listening and they want to either get involved with what you guys are doing. Like, I know sometimes you guys do like community outreach for like building and stuff. How, what's the best way for people to get involved? Is it through your guys' Facebook page or your website or probably Facebook just because we actually check that almost every day. My mom's on her Facebook. I'm on my Facebook. My wife's on her Facebook. Um, our other family members and volunteers. Um, but that's there is a just website. from the ground up on Facebook. Uh, well, myself, I'm on, there is Hap Hathaway. Uh, mm-hmm. My mom's Jenny Lowry uh, from the ground up has a site on there too. So if you go search from the ground up on there, that'll kind of link you to us, but there's a website too. That is um, from the ground up farms. Dot or yeah, I have it, I have it up right now. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. And then there too. It, so as far as um, volunteering and stuff, it, there is opportunities for people to get involved with what you guys are doing. To, correct. Yes. Yes. We need volunteers desperately. We, we can only do what we can do. We have a handful of people who work almost completely for free from time to time. We get money that we can give them for stipends to cover actual, like out of expense, out of pocket expenses. Cause we got people that help us. They'll spend their own money on stuff that we're doing, you know? Um, and, uh, so yeah, we need volunteers. Tons Got of it. please. So people please. can volunteer if they're listening. And then I, I take it people can donate on the website as well. On the website, there's a PayPal link um, that you can donate to specific things. Just put a note on what your donation is for. That's also where you would go to buy uh, early passes to the relations gathering because from the ground up is the uh, sponsoring nonprofit for the event. Um, we formed a, an LLC to actually own the campground, which is called Concow Partners. Um, and that was actually the same year that we from formed from the ground up. It was all kind of happening at the same time. And um, we decided at that time to form an LLC as a for-profit entity with the partners um, who are um, helping us take care of the campground and uh, keep that separate from the nonprofit that was going to be the service group, just so that, um, because they do different functions. And now, especially since the campfire, we've integrated them a lot. We have contracts between the LLC and the nonprofit to do things on the land, you know, so that Concal Partners is contracted with from the ground up to, to do shit, to share the land where the tool library is, for example, you know, that's oh. at the campground, which is Cape Concal Partners land. Um, but it's from the ground up's project. So the grant people are able to see that there's a contract between the nonprofit and the for-profit entities and see how the interaction between them is hashed out in legal terms and contracts. So then they can fund a from the ground up project without handing money over to an LLC that's for profit and everything stays separated in the taxes and stuff. Got it. So yeah, that makes sense. anybody out there that's game free game, that's what you need to do. You need to make a business that runs itself and supports you and pays for whatever resources that it's providing. And you form a nonprofit to the side of that to seek your grants. And if they need to interact, then they can, you create specific um, contracts between those two groups. Oh, free game. Okay. That's a good, that's a good tip right there. Yeah, it is. Um, and so then also, as far as the music goes, people would go on uh, uh, Concow Campgrounds website if they want to see some of the other festivals you mentioned. Yes, there. Uh, that website is um, lakeconcowcampground.net. Concow spelled with C's. Okay, um, I'll put those in the show notes as well so for people. Yeah, good idea. Um, and yeah, there is a calendar generally on there that shows 
uh, not just events, but also specific reservations because we have areas of the campground that can get like special reservations for weddings or parties. We do all that stuff up there too. Um, we've had a lot of weddings, a lot of memorials. Um, you know, it's, it's, um, we're really happy how much of a hub it's become for the community, especially since the fire was, um, the fire just kind of wiped everything out and everybody had yeah. to start everything mm-hmm. over. Well, very awesome. I really appreciate your time, Hap, and, and and obviously all the work that you're doing in the community that I'm part of, but also, you know, the community that Vaden's part of down in Chico as well. So thank you so much for the time. And then, you know, we'll definitely uh, have your mom on so we can do from the roundup to the ground up. Yeah, I like that. Oh, that's so good. We're definitely <laughs> jacking that title. We're, we're taking <laughs> Do it, man. T-shirts, everything. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Right on, man. Well, thanks. Thank you guys for the time and the opportunity to tell everybody about what we're doing. Thank you very much. Yeah, my pleasure, buddy. If you liked today's episode, you can find more information at mycorneruniverse.com. And don't forget to subscribe. Thank you.